Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Adulting Well listeners. This is Pepper, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor. And what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show, so you can see you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So for instance, we can have polls, we can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just, uh, that's just one example, but there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So uh this is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, and if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, thanks for uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well podcast. I am your co-host Joshua and I am joined as always by the beautiful (laughs) co-host Kevin. Uh, Today we have uh, James Tracy uh, on the show and we're going to talk about uh, a book he co-wrote specifically uh, amongst other things. Um, I have had the opportunity, not, I just got a copy of the book this week, unfortunately, but, um, it's, uh, no fascist USA and we can talk about, uh, you know, what kind of what it's about, but first I'd like to hear from James and welcome to the show. We're super excited to have you on, um, about how you personally got involved in the anti-fascist movement and kind of what influences, uh, punk rock had in that because, you know, we kind of come from the same background. So, yeah, well, uh, I would like to think that, uh, everybody, you know, most, most people who are, you know, progressive leftists, whatnot should be part of an anti-fascist movement. And, um, I, you know, I haven't been a big, um, you know, a big activist in anti-fascism at, at all. I just always show up when, of the stuff that other people, uh, organize, uh, I've, uh, my background comes from a lot of housing and economic justice uh, type, type of organizing, 
But I first met the John Brown Anti-Klan Committee in 1989 when they came to Vallejo, California, as you'll remember because you were there. Uh, the um, Nazi skinheads, white Aryan resistance, uh, the Klan uh, tried to organize this thing called the Aryan Woodstock that was a national controversy. And uh, there, I think it was March of 1989, uh, it was slated to be on this little piece of unincorporated land in between Vallejo and Napa. Uh, the John Brown Anti-Klan Committee came to town to uh, try to uh, try, try to organize a counter-mobilization against the, this white power concert, and that's where I first met members of, of them uh, doing what uh, many, many leftists did of the day, which is uh, get on the corner and sell your newspaper and go and and go talk to the people. So I've been fascinated with them ever since. Yeah. I mean, it's a really interesting organization and they, they did a really, I, I was there. You're right. Uh, was involved in anti-racist action in Sonoma County and where they had the, um, the, uh, whatever they called it, the festival, the Aryan Woodstock, uh, was, was sort of, right hey, what? Of can Sonoma you expand as well. on that? What's that? Can you expand on that? <laughs> So there was a the John Brown Anti Klan Committee, and I, I think James can speak more to this, and because I knew them more on the periphery, because they were uh, they were a pretty um, unifying organization for smaller anti racist groups around the country at that time. There was a lot of us that were into like punk and ska music um, in the late eighties that um, that joined groups like Anti Racist Action, um, and so it was the sort of the the latest movement in the anti-fascist uh, organizing from that goes all the way back to the fascist days of Europe. And um, it's a really, really interesting time because there was a lot of violent activity by Nazi skinheads at that time. Um, and little did a lot of us know, and I was really young, I mean, I was 19 years old, um, that that was actually being sort of secretly um, motivated and organized by former clan members and current clan members. And, um, you know, and, and James can really speak to this because the book goes into great detail of the connections between um, John Brown anti-clan committee and even things like the Aryan brotherhood in prison. But um, you know, there was, there was this kind of movement going on and they were recruiting younger and younger people. Um, and a lot of them from the punk movement, unfortunately, that were, you know, that were kind of disenfranchised white youth. So uh, they had this event um, that they deemed the Aryan Woodstock uh, in 1989 out uh, out in this kind of like crazy farm, um, you know, in the in the on the edge of Solano and Napa counties, and a Whoa. bunch of us went out there and protested, uh, and it made the national news. Yeah, I've never heard of that. It was national news for about, about a month. There, yeah. they, they literally, you know, they what made. Um, what, what what made white Aryan resistance uh, different than the Klan was that they were organizers, right? They, um, you know, they they would show up in you know in front of high schools and skate parks and to go talk to white kids and say, hey, why don't you know you seem like an angry young white youth, you know, why don't you come join us? You know, um, that you know while I I knew some you know some people that were. Um, that flirted with that or even became became members most that didn't really fly in Vallejo because uh, as it is I, you know in California it is one of the most diverse cities 
always has been. And um, the whole argument around, uh, you know, around white pe- folks being a, a master race or uh, that you needed to abandon your friends because, uh, because of their skin color or blame them for your family's problems really didn't uh, catch on that much, you know, uh, with, with some very tragic exceptions, of course. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially that they they did this so close to Vallejo, given the the history of you know, especially you know, uh, dock and and naval shipyard workers being such a diverse group. You know, it's uh, it certainly wouldn't fly there. And that's you know, that's one other you know, I want to just point out a small connection between a uh, small one, but actually a huge one between James and I, and and kind of the history. So currently, I play music with a guy named Chuck Goshert and James and Chuck know each other from back in those days as well. So, you know, the, the punk community is, is incredibly small. Uh, and especially in Northern California in these smaller towns, like, you know, everybody just knew each other. And, um, you know, so when, when a bunch of us ended up out at that, at that, uh, to protest the, the Aryan Woodstock, I mean, it was, it was kind of like the beginning of lifelong friendships too, which is a pretty amazing thing. Um, you know, I still keep in contact with the person that brought me out there was, was actually a longtime bandmate of mine who I mentioned in, in our last interview, Brian Zero. And he, uh, he and his sister were really involved in, in anti-racist, uh, movements in the, in the late eighties and early nineties and really opened my eyes to what was, what was going on even in our small town. I mean, we had a, we had a pretty big skinhead problem in the late eighties, uh, and early nineties in in Sonoma County. So, um, Moving, moving towards the book though. I mean, there's so much to unpack. I mean, there, like the, the history of this and it's a, I mean, it's funny because the, I think the organization was only around for 12 years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, is, does that oh. seem right, James? Um, I was, they started in 77. I think they were finally officially done about 1992, but different chapters faded away at different times. Yeah. I mean, but they have such a, a like a, they, I mean, they did a lot in that amount of time. And and I think one of the things that's most interesting that kind of led them to um, form was the connection between um, uh, the white power movement in prison and the KKK. Yeah. So we have, in, you know, the John Brown Anti-Klan Committee uh, gets started in, um, in 1977. Many of the original uh, members were already um, already connected to social and racial justice movements, and at that time, we're doing a lot of support work for people in pri- in prison. Uh, you know, largely because they saw it as an outgrowth of their anti-racist and anti-imperialist politics, but also because a lot of people they knew were in prison because of COINTELPRO, because it's the unfinished business of the 19, 1960s and set and 70s. And there were a, a lot of political people uh, in prisons, uh, people now that we would term as uh, prisoners of war, you know, or political prisoners, uh, and it was it was pretty big. So the John Brown Anti-Klan Committee, uh, or members uh, that were then in a group called the Inside Outside Coalition, and and a few others, got a letter from a um, you know from from a guy in prison, uh, and he. Uh, you know, he he outlined how in upstate New York the Klan had basically taken over the prison guard, uh, you know, the the prison prison guard apparatus held many jobs within the city. So 
Khalil Asiwata Hadari just was asking for solidarity and saying, hey, we this needs to be exposed. We need your active solidarity as folks on the outside, as white folks on the outside. And they responded to that call. Uh, they were also part of a uh, John Brown uh, John Brown book club that uh, you know studied uh, studied history together. So um, they didn't just come out of it anywhere. A lot of them came out of Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, uh, Weatherman, SDS, and many other things. Uh, and then they grew uh, much further behind, um, beyond their roots eventually. I mean, I think that's really, really interesting. You know, the pervasiveness of um, of the white power movement in prisons today is, is I mean, it's still a, a huge problem. Um, I mean, prison gangs in general, but, you know, I mean, I, I think it's interesting that the that a lot of the roots can be drawn um, back to the Klan. And one thing that we kind of skipped, and, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm sorry, I was a little remiss in this, but why, why don't you talk a little bit about who John Brown was? Because I think that's a, a really good setup for like sort of the formation of the of the organization as well as kind of their, their, their mission. Yeah. Um, so John Brown was a militant abolitionist. He's was best known for leading, uh, leading a raid in, um, in Harper's Ferry uh, to basically free, free slaves, but mo- and, and also uh, get their hands on a lot of guns to hopefully spark a, um, an anti-slavery uh, revolution uh, long before uh Harper's Ferry, Harper's Ferry, Virginia. He had, um, you know, led led attempts to make sure that uh, can you know Kansas didn't become a slave state. Had set you know had had assisted Harriet Tubman in setting up uh, safe points on the uh, uh, the Underground Ra- Railroad and uh, things like that. And and obviously he was executed and for Harper's Ferry and pay, you know, paying the price for that. But many historians believe that uh, the raid on Harper's Ferry was one of the things that finally called the question and, uh, and brought on the, uh, the, the civil war. And there's a lot of debate on that, but what the John Brown wow. anti-Klan committee wanted to do was kind of draw a line in the sand and say, this is, you know, this is the type of um, solidarity that we're willing to show uh, to uh, to our black and brown comrades that are uh, you know that, that are uh, under the gun experiencing COINTELPRO or every everyday um, racism and fascism they really wanted to set um, set send the message that they weren't these other types of liberals that uh, had had a bad rap for uh, for compromise and um, you know other uh, uh, you know, compromise, equivocating, things like that. Debates that we still that we still have today, of course. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds eerily familiar. Yeah, I'm really glad. <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad that most of this didn't have unfold on Facebook. I think it would have turned out it uh, a re- in a <laughs> way if they were if they were you know if they, if John Brown and other anti-racist groups that they were in dialogue with collaboration with sometimes con- conflict with we're hashing these things out on Twitter or Facebook. I think we, uh, we would have gotten a lot, lot different a result. It might've been a much smaller book that we had, had, had to write. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you and I were both, uh, well, I, I remember because this is like basically the, the Reagan presidency brought about some of the best, 
<clears throat> political punk I think that's ever been written. Um, you know, I, I from you know, I mean, just just amazing, amazing music, amazing art, and some pretty intense uh, activism during that time as well. And I think one of your points that you just made is, is, is a good one. A lot of this was being, and this is the thing that I think people really, you know, of a certain age miss. A lot of this was being done through landline phone calls, letters, you know, like in-person meetings there, we didn't have the luxury of doing what we're doing right now, which is all three of us are in different locations recording a high, high definition podcast. Right. Yeah. Um, there wasn't Zoom meetings to be had, uh, you know, and, you know, Re- you know, Reagan is, is, you know, I mean, he's, he's still to this day a hero of the right, which, you know, especially with the recent revelations and recordings of things he said about people of color is, is just incredible to me. Um, but his, his, uh, his presidency really brought about a change in politics in the U.S., that we hadn't seen in a really long time. Um, and he was able to, you know, through the use of like some pretty covert language to most people, to most laymen, like really sort of encourage some, some horrible, in my opinion, horrible ideas. And, you know, I think like trickle also, down economics. I'm not even talking about economics. I'm actually talking about just the, the racist side of him and the, the recordings that have come out more recently of him right. like, just basically saying it, you know, finally there's actual yeah, you yeah. know, evidence of this. Um, but he also changed the dynamic of the, of this organization because of his, so, you know, partially outward and sort of covert languaging of certain things. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm interested. I haven't, I haven't gotten to dig into that part of the book yet. And I just love to hear like a, you know, I know it's a lot to unpack, but, you know, just maybe a little synopsis of how Reagan changed the organization, um, changed the face of activism um, in the anti-racist movement, you know, and just some, you know, your thoughts about that, James. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to unpack. First thing I'm going to unpack there is I'm not worried that Reagan is seen as a hero by the right. That's just kind of, yeah, of course, he was a hero to the right. He did right wing things. He led a counter-revolution against not only the uh, the gains of the civil rights movement and the Black Power movement, but also the New Deal, uh, and so that's not su- not surprising. What I think we really need to be worried about is the way that Reagan is being recuperated uh, by liberals today in the Donald Trump era. Uh, we have, uh, you know, it's not uncommon to hear. Uh, folks on MSNBC, I know MSNBC is easy to uh, to beat up on, but I think this is a valid critique where they find uh, they find moments where uh, you know where he communicates a vision of a unified United States vagaries around uh, you, know, you know we're all Americans no matter what color or what creed that type of stuff, and then it's used to show hey this is you know, this is a real Republican, not a racist, you know, and that's, uh, that's really dangerous to recuperate Reagan. I mean, the Reagan, Reagan had the endorsement of the Ku Klux Klan. I don't, we don't know if he uh, asked for it or whatnot, but he received it and didn't repudiate it much like Trump today. Uh, who, who also- I think the cat's out of the bag on the right on Republicans when it comes to racism. Right. At this point. Yeah. But the, 
what my point is is just like it's really da- it's just it's just really dangerous to have people who um who aren't Republicans, who aren't conservatives, who aren't racist, trying to recuperate Reagan, right? Because you can't recuperate Reagan from uh, from a progressive perspective. It's just it's it's just a, it's just impossible. But well, I think the the one of the things that I that I see constantly is that like you know li- liberals, I guess. I mean, more of like Democrats, I would say. Um, I've been corrected many times. People, so-called centrists hate the word neoliberal, even though I love it because it triggers the shit out of them. Um, uh, Say things like, oh, I just wish for the days when we had somebody like Reagan that was more, you know, middle of the road, or I wish that we had somebody that could communicate better, you know, and it's like, (laughs) let's not forget during his, his, governorship in in california he worked with the nra to get open carry banned because the black panthers marched on sacramento absolutely you know and and pointing out to one of the interesting dynamics of the john brown anti-clan committee is that they very clearly uh, brought out the connections between racism and white supremacy here and uh, intervention in Central America and uh, in other parts parts of the globe. They were anti-imperialist and was a really important part of their uh, of their politics, which which actually uh, going back to to your great points around music and art and organizing really was a central part in a lot of the um, a lot of the music, the, the protest posters uh the uh, you know the anti anti Reagan fight back that you saw I think you you nailed it on the head both what both the the racist and the anti racist understood very well was the role of culture and the role of youth youth culture in uh, in in organizing I mean let's I'll nerd out for a second on on Gramsci you know good old basin superstructure there's the things that we experience in our everyday lives. Uh, you know that uh, go back to our paychecks, our ability to pay rent, and then there's the things that generate the ideas that help us interpret these things and what and decide help us decide whether we are, uh, you know, we're working working across the color lines for a better world or whether we are supporting really reactionary stuff. And this is where punk rock and hip hop those were the battlegrounds around you know around superstructure around around ideology and ideas and. Um, what white Aryan resistance did is they they really understood that I don't I know that there were some former leftists that became members of white Aryan re- resistance I don't know if they ever read read Gromsky but they applied it perfectly but um, our side did as well through uh, anti racist action and through uh, John Brown anti Klan committee and many many different uh, for uh, formations just you know un- understood that. Uh, you weren't just going to bring people over through, you know, 10, 10 page fact sheets and newspapers. You also had to make, um, make the resistance that you're trying to attract people to appealing and amazing. Uh, well, I mean, I think you can look back at the history of <clears throat> fascism and dictatorships, especially, and look at who they went after. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pinochet is a perfect example. Yeah. He arrested the artists, the writers, the you know the poets the musicians and you know did horrible things to them to as kind of a show of strength 
you know, and I, I've seen that the thing that's really amazing to me, you know, and really shocking is I've seen images of people at these, you know, rallies wearing shirts today that say Pinochet was a genius and other things. So even the current sort of extreme right movement understands that to really win the hearts and minds of the people, you have to remove the other side's arts community and insert your own. Yeah. You know? And absolutely. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And it's all, it's also really clever and it's a very, and it's very effective. It's a very effective or organizing. Um, there. I mean, the, uh, the right, the far right, you know, the racist right is an international move movement. I hope that you have Hillary back on, uh, you for a future podcast because she's really stu studied this, but just like the left used to think in terms of, you know, building an international, uh, the right, you know, the right coordinates, uh, you know, coordinates their ideas, coordinates their activities, you know, multinationally now. And that's, and so they also, they're also going to, uh, they're, they're also going to take symbols and heroes from, from their their past past movements. So while um, you go to you know this is oversimplifying, you go to a go to a, a anti racist uh, rally, you're gonna have the guys with the Pinochet shirts and the people with the Che Guevara shirts shirts on. Uh, it's you know because they 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 understand the how um, how how culture uh, you know create you know helps to create create identities, but. Let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about punk rock. Let's talk about MDC, uh, multi death corporation, or millions of death de yeah. uh, dead cops, depending on uh, which album uh, you tuned into. <laughs> uh, you know their, uh, their their song "Born to Die" was the one that 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 gave the John Brown Anti Klan Committee their slogan, right? Uh, their their yep. their slogan: "No cops, no KKK, no fascist USA." Where we take the title title from and they were you know they were part of the rock against reagan movement organizing a tour all across the the the, the country and you had um and that that's directly inspired by the uk rock against racism movement the two-tone movement red wedge things like that so yeah you know I think our culture is a lot better. It's a lot more visionary and it's a lot more pow uh, powerful, powerful, but back in the eighties, you know, it wasn't uh, something that you could just beam, beam across the world. Uh, we, like you brought up, you know, we had zines, we had to make the, make these, make phone calls. Uh, it was, it was a lot, lot more involved, involved process. Uh, it wasn't such a rapid response. Uh, culture, but people got uh, got stuff done and used the tools that they had, everyday people's tools to uh, to intervene in the, you know in in this battle for battle for ideas. Yeah, I think I think MDC is a great example too because Dave has been unrelenting in his entire you know musical career, and he's still out there doing it. I think one of the fondest memories I have of playing shows was we we got when I was in. Um, Siren and actually Chuck might have even been in the band at that point. I'm not sure. We got to play a matinee show at Bottom of the Hill with MDC and Avail, and we were we were one of the bands that in the Bay Area that used to get you know screamed at, shut up and play because we Brian constantly talked about these issues, whether it was racism, 
you know, we were a animal rights band as well, but, um, you know, specifically watching Dave perform and sort of interact with the audience and deliver not only a really powerful message, but do it with humor and like support and caring. He really is a unique, unique artist. I, I honestly, you know, I know that they've gotten a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, notoriety at different times of their career, but I don't think that his influence has really fully been appreciated by a lot of us that have, you know, been, been doing this a long time too. I, I, I think that MDC just every single time I saw them play without fail, he had something pointed to say that I hadn't thought about that sort of, he had been obviously deeply thinking about and, and brought to their live performances in a way that like was an every man conversation. It wasn't, it wasn't like wonky or confusing or, you know, times it was explicit, but he had a way of delivering that and it still does. That's really unique. And I, I just want to like, since you mentioned him, I wanted to give them a shout out too. He's, they're just, a, they were, they were and are a great band and he's a stellar human being. Yeah, I, I agree. And I would encourage your listeners to pick up Dave's book. It's on, I forget the exact title of it. He wrote it, you know, he wrote, wrote his, his memoir, uh, Manic Deep Press uh, pub, uh, published it. And I agree. I think a lot of, a lot of people make MDC jokes, but uh, they had so many great songs, great politics, high level of, high level of commitment. But most importantly, is they could bring those politics out with a, with a sense of humor. Right. They they might be the band that you would uh, you you'd make a mixtape to to give to your cousin to uh, say, hey, you listen, uh, listen, listen to some of the, these ideas because they were they they, na- they never came off preachy and yet they were 100 100 percent political. And I think the the role of a of a sense of humor can oftentimes be be uh, da- downplayed. Yep. So it's MDC memoir from a damaged civilization stories of punk fear and redemption. It's really good. Drummer Al has one on Manic Depress now too. Oh, nice! I, which I, I haven't read, but I assume it's going to be quite different. So. Yeah, <laughs> we. I stayed with him when he was in. Um, I think he was in New Mexico for a while uh, when when we were on tour at one point, and just I mean, those guys were always you know, and I know there's different stories about them from different people. I can only speak from my own personal experience. They were all of them in different ways were really welcoming and super helpful for touring bands when they sort of went their separate ways and lived in other areas. Um, so we can't really talk about uh, John Brown anti-Klan committee without talking about the, the, you know, the arrests for the bombings and the, um, and kind of what happened to the individuals. Uh, I think it's important to talk about and, you know, it's a, uh, it, obviously different people have different views on this and, you know, it kind of goes back to John Brown as an individual and sort of what other uh, sort of what other historical figures have said about him and, and liberalism. I mean, I think Malcolm X has the most kind of pointed quote. I think you use it in the book too. uh, Just about if you're not basically at that level, we'll get back at you later kind of thing. But I'd like to just hear your perspective on, on, you know, uh, what happened with sort of the, it was like a sort of series of, of uh, violent activities by people tied to the committee. And then um, later on, Bill Clinton, you know, uh, 
commuting one of the sentences because um, it, it is it's 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 good history too. Yeah, there's so much to so much you could go in there. The first thing I need to clarify is that the John Brown Clan Anti Clan Committee never committed bombings. Uh, people right. who were, were former members, people who were uh, that were close to the organi- organization, were were arrested and uh, go for for a series of, of bombings that became known as the Resistance Conspiracy uh, trial. So that's that's um, you know, that's that's a really important clarification. But and that's kind of the reason I wanted to bring it up because I think what happens for because people have mainstreamed ideas and use you know, the short news cycles and social media to connect things. And if you look, if you Google this and you read the actual history of it, it's pretty obvious that these people were no longer with the organization and had kind of looser ties, but people want to connect dots where they aren't necessarily there for expediency. And and because quite honestly, they're lazy, you know? Absolutely. And we had a, uh, and it's, and it's just also, it's also hard. You see the same names popping up here and there. You can make you. It's understandable if one makes makes that mistaken connection. But one of the big connections is that the FBI and the Justice Department use these use these bombings where no one was killed in at all, of course, um, to as kind of a to activate a series of grand juries and go on a fishing expedition and basically see get as much information on the anti-imperialist left all sections of it the uh, those who embraced armed struggle those who were pacifists the uh, nicaragua solidarity uh committees so on and so forth and we have uh, d- you know different members of john brown anti-clan committee uh you know, like pam 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 Fatum and uh, terry bisson uh refusing to testify at the grand jury against uh you know against their 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 friends, even though I got a sense that they that those uh, those particular tactics they probably no longer were that enthusiastic over at that point, and really and they end up doing a lot you know they end up end up doing time in federal prison for uh, for this because they they un- they understood the concept that you whether you agreed with uh, with those being investigated or not that a lot is at stake to. Um, through a grand jury process, the FBI, the FBI is not interested in just going and and getting the people who, you know, who uh, who you know who allegedly put a bomb bomb somewhere. They uh, they were interested in doing a, fi- a fishing expedition to get as much information on the left as possible, and they took a really principled stand uh, that landed them in, in prison for for a bit. Um, and that's you know. And that reminds me of John of the original John Brown story in a different way, where uh, Henry David Thoreau, uh, who was definitely not somebody who was an armed revolutionary in any kind of way, he was a pencil maker and wrote a civil disobedience essay. He one of his most beautiful essays was in in defense of Captain John Brown, where he called for the release of John Brown even across their, their differences in perspective around the question of violence. And I think that's something that we can learn, learn from today. When we disagree with one another around anything, don't take to Facebook and Twitter about it. You know, these are movement questions. These are, these are questions that should be had in, in, in debates that do need to be had. I'm not, uh, 
you know, behind closed doors, not for all people to, to see because you felt like you had to broadcast your agreement or disagreement on, on a place, uh, on a, on a social media platform and learning how to debate with one another, right. Learning how, learning how to hold really hard, hard disagreements around tactics, strategies, and vision, and still be anchored in a, uh, uh, be, be anchored in our common goals. When Linda Evans, um, who you referenced, she was the one who was pardoned by Clinton. When she went to prison up in Dublin, uh, she was in prison with people who were uh, affiliated with the Berrigan family, the Catholic radicals who did not, uh, extremely nonviolent uh, coordinate, uh, nonviolent actions against war and intervention. And they found themselves in the same federal prison. So it goes back to what James Baldwin said. If they come for you in the morning, they're going to be back for me at night. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned the Twitter and Facebook stuff because I, I've got, I get into it with people. And I'm not, uh, I'm not <laughs> necessarily a personal advocate for violence, especially, you know, unnecessary you know, just kind of random property crimes just to do them, um, you know, and also violence against people just to do them. But I, I 100% support the, the rights of individuals to protect themselves. And, you know, when you've got in people coming into the community and this gets really underreported and it's kind of like the, the next line of questioning that I wanted to get into is where are we today? You've got people coming into communities with an intent you know, and the intent generally is to cause as much chaos and violence as possible to essentially, um, you know, to, to sort of engage in ways that are going to make their adversaries look bad. Um, we, we saw it in Berkeley a bunch of times and people kept getting, you know, all up in arms and, you know, Antifa is doing this and it's them and they're, you know, they're, they're being violent without really looking at like what the chatter was going into these events and the, the organization around people that weren't supporters necessarily of the mainstream, right. But more hardcore fascists and, and um, racist purposely stirring up violence at these events and coming there with that intent without a doubt, like over and over and over again, that this has been proven and, and then getting up people, the, you know, sort of the, the centrists and the mainstream getting upset that, that there's individuals that want to defend themselves, you know? And I just, you know, obviously it's a much longer conversation, but, you know, I, I think it's, it's basically shows the simplicity of where people are in these, in these debates. It's like, the easiest road out is, you know, like blanket statements about specific groups. And it's the, the nuance of all of this is much deeper. The history is much deeper. And that's part of the reason I appreciate the book. It's been nice to kind of dive into it. And, you know, it's funny because I was going to go pick up a copy um, at one of the local booksellers here in San Francisco that carries it. And then all of a sudden we're shelter in place, you know, um, so I was glad that you sent me the PDF because it's been it's been fun this week to kind of dig into it. And it, it just reminds me of a lot of, of of things that have happened in the past. But I guess, you know, one of the things I want to put to you and, you know, we 
try to keep these to 45 minutes to an hour. So we're, you know, we're getting a little close on time, but um, just talk about where we are today, kind of what's the lesson, because that's really the point of the book is, you know, and obviously it's a longer conversation. We'll have Hillary on and we can expand on this a little bit more. Um, but, um, you know, what, what is, where are we today? What, what's our lesson from, from, from lesson learned from the John Brown anti-Klan committee and how can we sort of carry forward, you know, the spirit of, of this movement? I think one of the things that we talk about in the book is a John Brown anti-Klan committee in our judgment. And when you write a book like this, you have a lot of power because you're collecting people's histories, right? What they did, what the stories they tell you, and then you do make judgments. And I believe, and I think Hillary also shares this of the John Brown anti-Klan committee was most effective when it learned how to be a left pole within broad, broad based uh, coalition. So in Chicago, the uh, the campaign to cover up racist graffiti they uh, they didn't just ask for the city to cover up the swastikas and the racist graffiti that was all over the place they formed a broad based coalition of people that went out in the streets and did it together and supported each other so when we say um, you know no platforming or whatnot sometimes that can lead into a big you know big rabbit hole around the First Amendment. Basically, I, I like I take a lot of inspiration from one of our John Brown veterans, Lisa Roth. I was like, it's not about freedom of speech. If they're go- if the other side is going to be mobilizing, we're going uh, we're in exercising their freedom of speech. We're going to be out. Th- we're going to be out there doing uh, doing the same and trying to do it bigger and better. And I'm I'm completely misquoting her, but that's the spirit of it. Um, right after Charlottesville. Uh, the uh, you know the far right tried to pull off the same thing in Boston and it failed because there were uh, something like forty thousand counter demonstrators to a small amount of uh, fascists, and I think that's 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 amazing. Yeah, that's the way to go, and that's the type of story that I mean. I'm not saying that it's like censored because it's out there; you can Google it. But it's it didn't get the same amount of uh, of attention that the that's some guy punching Richard Spencer in the face gets right. And I'm not condemning the guy who uh, punched Richard Spencer in the face. That's neither here nor there, but where do, where do we put our attention to? Do we put our attention to that? There are some organizations and movements that are able to put thousands of people out on the streets to uh, keep our communities safe. Or do we focus on the individual funny little memes of Richard Spencer getting knocked in the, um, knocked in the face. Um, I like to think about groups like Pop Mob in Portland, a popular mobilization, and the model that they've they've done is they, they really try to find uh, find multiple roles in anti fascist mobilization, so people with kids can express themselves and be part of part of it without putting their kids into yeah into into jeopardy. They use art, they use culture, they use music, and they also go and counter mobilize against fascist, fascist people in higher, higher risk uh, zones there. And I think that's, that's, um, that's a group of group of people that are taking a lot of lessons, not just from John Brown anti-Klan committee history of ARA uh, and their own and quickly synthesizing their own personal experiences and constantly uh, experimenting with, with, with new models and new, new ways of making, um, anti-fascism, something that's uh, truly multi-generational, uh, family family friendly, uh, so to speak, 
and um and and effective because i think that you're gonna you're those those are gonna be the places where a lot of new new ideas around how how to do this are are uh, coming forward very very good so talk a little bit about what you're up to now and i know you did a lot of housing rights work in the city of san francisco for a very long time um and i know you're 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 doing something different now and maybe about any follow-ups to the book. Um, I know that it's been tough cause you were supposed to be on book tour, but you know, obviously things have been a little different. <laughs> um, hopefully this will, this will appease some of these people. We'll send, we'll send out um, a link to the podcast to some of the places that you were going to go and maybe post on the, on the events, the canceled events on Facebook, et cetera. But talk about kind of what you're doing these days, you know, how you got there as well, and maybe uh, what's what's next for you and Hillary. Well, uh, for myself, my main political home right now is my union, uh, American Federation of Teachers 2121. Uh, it's a great, uh, great union to be a part of. I teach at City College of San Francisco, uh, which I love. Um, our union are the, the people that made uh, made City College tuition free for San Franciscans, so it's a very very progressive place to be, and um, I'm, I'm glad glad to be an act, active mem- uh, member there uh, because we're we're a social justice movement. We connect with with a, with with other with other movements. It's not just about what goes on at, at City College, even though there's plenty at City College we need <laughs> we need to pay 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 attention attention to, and. You know, every day uh, working with AFT twenty one twenty one, I'm reminded of how you don't have to, um, you know, that anti racism isn't just something about beating up Nazis. It's about also defending the, um, you know, defending the African American Studies Department when it's, uh, you know, when it's de- when it's defunded. It's about making sure that all all students, especially our Black and Brown students, get access to amazing uh, you know uh, amazing educations just uh, just like everyone else it's about uh, making sure that our school lives up to its rhetoric of uh, be, of being a sanctuary campus and so uh, yeah fighting 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 ra- uh, racism and neoliberalism of course is something that that you you can do uh, from whatever you know, whatever vantage point and currently mine is uh, through my union that's awesome. Um, you're also going to be doing some, you have like a, a short sort of pitch that you can do. We talked about, you know, and I'm hoping to do as, uh, as our, my new project comes back to life and we start playing shows again um, around the book and around anti-fascist training. Um, I'd love to hear just a quick sort of synopsis of that. Um, and that way people know, that it's available. I know right now we're, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about where, where we're at in the world, but um, you know, I, I think it's really interesting that you're, that you can and are willing to do that. Yeah. And I'm sorry, my, um, I, this might be the part you have to edit out, but I got distracted by my dog. So can you, um, uh, can oh, so you... I was asking about, <laughs> we had talked about you doing like a short uh, anti-fascist sort of talk training uh, at the beginning of uh, you know, one of our sets at Gilman a little while back. And yeah. I think it's really interesting um, and want to hear because it really ties this, this new phase of your life back to punk rock. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would really love to, when, when we're allowed to start having shows again, and uh, I would really love to work with some folks to really kind of apply some of those, 
uh, some of those lessons from the cultural side of John Brown Anti-Klan Committee and Anti-Racist Alliance and really start, you know, organizing using using culture as 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 a weapon, as a loving weapon to uh, make sure that idealistic and uh, angry young young people um you know, are inoculated, right? There's another virus in town. It's called, you know, it's called white supremacy and we need a vaccine for that. Punk rock, hip hop. Those are some of the best vaccines for, uh, for that because they change hearts and minds. So I would really, if any of your listeners want to uh, get in contact with an old punk with some, uh, some organizing experience. uh, Yeah. Please put them in it in uh in touch with me back in the 90s i was the guy that all the bands would avoid because if i was coming knocking on your door it was usually to see if you'd play a benefit uh yet another uh benefit for some do-gooder cause and uh i'm gonna <laughs> i want to get back i want to except for you guys because i was kind of like your, your your jam but um yeah, yeah I did I anyway I mean, that, that was actually part of our discussion with michelle gonzalez of spitboy the, the yesterday was we were talking about benefits because that's how i met her so um, yeah, you know, relentlessly, always, whenever we were in town, the question and answer was, "Can you play this benefit?" And we said yes. So, um, yeah. you know, I mean, traveling within the Bay Area even then was relatively cheap. So it was, you know, it was like, if we're here, let's do it, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll all be taking taking advantage of those uh, lower gas prices that Trump keeps talking about to uh, <laughs> to, uh, to hit the road. <laughs> But this is so how are you hanging in with the, with the shelter? I'm sorry, you just cut out. Yeah, oh, how are you hanging in with the shelter in place? Pretty good. Just uh, reading. Uh, I'm reading uh, reading this wonderful book, uh, The Young Lord's History by Joanna Fernandez. Uh, hanging out with my partner a lot, fixing up the house and petting the dogs and uh, plotting, uh, plotting ways to provide uh, mutual aid. My neighborhoods. I'm I'm really lucky to live in a neighborhood where people look out for each other and check check on each other. So um, nice. there's lots of informal mutual aid and going on in my neighborhood right now, and uh, just want to uh, ex- expand on that uh, for the for the time being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we're kind of up. Jo- Joshua, did you have anything else for James before we wrap this today? I feel like I kind of dominated this given James and my history. <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever been this quiet, but because it's so fascinating, uh, to me because it's this topic especially is so historic and contemporary at the same time. Uh, it's been a wonderful conversation learning about MDC too, which is a band I largely wrote off until listening to you guys talk about them was pretty amazing. Yeah, well, they, they, like all of us, they've got a complicated history. I mean, their but their music was undeniably influential. Um, and, and Dave wrote some some pretty amazing lyrics. So, James, um, we want to thank you very much. I mean, this has been informative, wonderful. I could literally talk to you all day long and probably not get bored. Um, Seriously, this has been amazing. Just, I feel like I'm a guest on the show, like a guest listener right now, just yeah. like listening to everything. It's it's been fantastic. Um, one of the things we're doing, just so you know, is we're um, donating all of our Patreon money for through the end of the year to Hospitality House in San Francisco, who I'm sure you're well aware of. Um, as many of our listeners and our close friends know, I'm been sober a very long time, 
And the hospitality house offers something very unique in the services community in that they not only offer housing, but they offer uh, an incredibly uh, diverse group of peer counselors, uh, as well as, uh, you know, art therapy. And they have a working art studio, which is truly, to me, the best way to reconnect with people. And nothing helps uh, people change their lives more than community connection. And I think they do a fantastic job of it. Um, so we've made them sort of our, our, uh, our beneficiary of anything we get on Patreon. And, you know, we're encouraging our guests to also post about them. Um, given the circumstances we're in right now, they're finding it harder to raise money and they normally have this giant art auction every year. Um, and that's how I was connected with them. So um, there's, a lot of great organizations out there. I totally realize that. I encourage people if they have the means to donate to the ones that you love. This is one that I love. It really touches me on multiple levels, given my family history of mental illness as well. And I just really am like they're they're they've dug their way into my heart. So I, I give them a pitch on every show. So um, if you've got any causes, James, go ahead and lay them out there and um, give us all your your information so people can find your stuff as well before we close. Yeah, uh, first of uh, today, you and I share the same cause. Hospitality House is awesome. Uh, please get Joe Wilson and Wendy Click on on this show. Uh, they will, uh, uh, you know, probably have to be a two parter. Both of their stories is learning how to be organizers, and their histories are just amazing. I won't um, say what they are. I'll let them speak for themselves. But please support Hospitality House for all the reasons you just out outlined. Um, I'm going to go go kick in there. Um, and you know, there, I think it was Kenneth Patchen. It might've been Kenneth Rexrock said, you know, those who pro profess to love books, but never buy a book is a cheap son of a bitch. Don't be a cheap son of a bitch. Support your local, uh, your support, support your local bookstores. You can do that even in this time through bookshop.com, uh, which is this great project aiming to take a bite out of Amazon and support, support the Indies like city lights books, Books and publishing, who uh, pu you know published No Fascist USA, uh, along with uh, the legendary Open Media series. So, uh, yeah, support we 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 name checked uh, Manic D Press's great work, uh, but you know support you know support the indies. Keep buying books even in these in these hard times, especially in these uh, these hard times. Support Melville House, uh, Arsenal Pulp press um you know because these are where the ideas that are going to keep keep us alive and give us some strategies uh or, or even just a little ray of hope so that's all all right well thank you very much for coming on this was like uh just a really wonderful enlightening conversation and i look forward to hearing more from you and hillary and we'll we'll reschedule with her uh when her schedule permits because uh I'm sure living in germany right now she's going to give us an amazing perspective on what's going on in the eu mm -hmm. And she's a workhorse. She has a, she has a new book out that's just coming out in Europe right now. So you'll have about um, uh, eco fascism. So you'll have plenty to talk about with her. I am sure. So well, thanks, James and um, Joshua. As always, you know, best part of my day. Absolutely. Right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you, guys.